You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Minton, and welcome to our podcast. I'm excited about our podcast today, where we will be hosting a conversation with our guest, Ben Terrier of Terrier Steel in Columbus, Ohio. Ben is a fourth generation leader of the company. He's a husband, a father of three, and a veteran army officer. Ben came up the old fashioned way where he started working on the shop floor as a general laborer and then worked his way through the ranks toward leading the company in its current form today. Please join me in welcoming our guest today, Ben Terrier. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, it's a real pleasure, Ben. And uh, I guess I've known you probably, what, about three years now? Is that right? Uh, three or four, something like that. Yeah. Well, Ben, let's uh, let's dive in a little bit and get started by uh, just maybe asking you to share a little bit of background about yourself so our listeners can get to know you and, and uh, just have a little more color on you. Yeah. So, I mean, you covered the high points there with the, the short bio. I mean... So my dad owns the company, and uh, I guess it's always been part of the family, uh, the bloodline, if you will. You know, I grew up coming here as a kid, and, uh, you know, dad would talk about stuff at home and everything like that, and I didn't really have any desire to have anything to do with it when I was younger. It was just kind of the place that I went with dad every once in a while, and then when I started working here by accident, it was kind of like, hey, this is the family business, and this is pretty cool. And so you also uh, you, you mentioned that you have uh, spent time in the in the army as well. What did you do when you were in the army? Then I was an infantry officer, so I, I lucked out. Uh, my army time was was pretty cool. I got to be a platoon leader for three and a half years. A lot of my friends didn't get that much time. Uh, and basically, when I decided that I was going to go the army route, whenever they were going to make me write a desk, I could come home and do that for dad, and that's what I wanted to do. So. Uh, Finished out the what I owed the army, got out, came home, and here I am today. And so, Ben, uh, you also have a family, I know, and, and a couple of a couple of kids. Tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, so three kids, uh, nine, seven, and four, something like that. It's hard to keep track of them sometimes. A uh, boy, a girl, and a boy, and you know their schedules are taking over our lives, and it's fun, man. It's being a dad is. It's pretty awesome, uh, especially the, as they grow up a little bit. Uh, I probably would have trapped my daughter at four years old, but I can't wait for my four-year-old son to not be four anymore. <laughs> well, the, the the journey has just begun, my friend. You've got a long way to go. <laughs> I, I keep hearing that, and uh, I'm going to save every step of it. And luckily, my wife is a saint and uh, a, a much better person than I am, so uh, it, it makes it a lot easier. Well, Ben, let's uh, let's pivot over and talk about the business. Uh, tell me about Terrier Steel. What is it uh, that you guys do, and what is it that you do? Well, so the company is a hundred-year-old uh, structural steel fabrication company. So, in different parts of the country, that means different things. And, and here in Columbus, uh, it means that we are usually the prime contract holder for the structural steel scope of work for projects. So, even if we don't perform some of the that scope of work uh it's still in our contract to do so so we do not perform steel erection or we do not fabricate or install miscellaneous metals but still our responsibility to to coordinate for that 
so in-house, we take care of the structural steel fabrication, uh, which means purchasing materials, uh, performing drafting and shop drawings for those materials, all the cutting, welding, and everything else that goes into a delivering of the materials to the job site. Uh, that, that's what we do. It was founded by my great-grandfather in 1919. Uh, he was a World War One veteran, and then my grandfather took it over somewhere in the 60s, I believe. He was uh, he went and played in World War Two. My dad took it over, I think, in 1992, but he'd been working here since the early 80s at the least. Uh, and then here we are today, 101 years old and still kicking. That's fantastic that you've got a company that has lasted. Uh, over a hundred years and is now extended into the fourth generation of the family, which, you know, that's almost unheard of, uh, in, in today's business world and uh, especially in family businesses, but, uh, congratulations on, you know, surpassing 100 years. And, uh, you, you actually, I think your brother also works in the business as well. Is that correct? Yep. So he and I are the, the fourth generation. We're the only two siblings. So luckily, it's just the two of us that have to, to deal with uh, the succession planning. Uh, he's up in project management. Uh, I came up in estimating because I got out of the Army before he did. He's also an Army veteran. And uh, we didn't have really a position for either of us. It was just kind of like, hey, you're obligatorily the, the owner's son. So what do you want to do? And uh, my last eight months of the Army was on staff and it was it was awful. So I wanted nothing to do with project management because that's what it felt like. I liked estimating and I can talk to anybody about anything. So sales is kind of more of my, my department, I guess. Uh, so that was fun. That my poor brother got brought up into project management and, oh man, it's, it's a trip, but you know, it's fun. It's fun uh, that for both of us to be in the business, we always have family dinner on Sunday nights. All we do is talk about work, but it doesn't seem like all we do is talk about work. It's just, it's in the blood and it's who we are. And it's a great time. Technically, I'm the and, vice president of the company, uh, which you know basically means I do everything Dad doesn't want to do anymore. Is he tries to see those retirement barn doors approaching. And so let's just let's just dive into that a little bit and talk about the transition uh, of what you guys see out there. What what does that look like uh, down the road? Does it look like the business is going to continue to stay in the family, and you guys will transition that, or what? What are you guys talking about? Oh, it's definitely going to stay in the family. Um, the specifics of the transition, we're not sure about yet. Uh, Dad announced earlier this year that he would like to start stepping back and having uh, my brother and I start doing some more, which isn't, I mean, we'd already kind of started doing that. Uh, he can work from anywhere in the world as long as he has an internet connection. Uh, his main functions right now are purchasing and then, of course, still high-level decision-making. So he hasn't been in the office hardly at all this year, uh, especially with COVID going around. Um, you know, it, it's, it's nice. Uh, he's a phone call away, but he and I share an office. So I actually get some space, which is good. Uh, but as far as transitioning down the road goes, it'll just be him involved less and my brother and I involved more. And we have no intentions of doing other th anything else than just trying to prepare to keep the company for another hundred years. It sounds like the transition is already starting to occur based on some conversations that, that I've, uh, had with you, Ben, that, you know, your father's getting a, a bit less involved and he's feeling comfortable with not coming into the office and that you're there kind of kind of running things. 
he's sort of taken a back seat on, you know, just doing some purchasing and, you know, and he's, and he's really sounding like he's a backstop there if you need him. Is, is that uh, an accurate uh, description? Yeah, that's very accurate. The other thing that we're uh, lucky to have right now is that our key leaders have been here for a long time. I don't think we have any key leaders that haven't been here for over 18 years. Uh, so we've got we've got plenty of people here that know what's going on, know how to do it, uh, and are really good advisors for how we should start changing things for the future. Of course, the bad side of that is everybody's been here a long time, so we don't have a lot of young blood in the system, which is not an immediate concern, but obviously down the road it will be a concern. It sounds like you and your brother are the young blood in the system, and uh, but you're surrounded with some really seasoned veterans. That's exactly right. So at some point, we're going to have to figure out how to get some younger blood into some key positions. But at the same time, young blood's no guarantee of <laughs> of progress and making things better. So right. it's always got to be the right people in the right seats. Uh, and right now, we've got them. Uh, we've got the best people in the right seats right now. Fantastic. So Ben, uh, since you've been working in the business now, what's been the biggest challenge that you have faced? You know, we haven't had very many challenges. We've been lucky there. I'd say the biggest one, though, is trying to implement a culture of continuous improvement. So no matter where you go, what you do, uh, who you come in contact with, you hear the phrase, it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, it doesn't always mean that it's the best way of doing things. And just because of that, it also doesn't mean that the way we're doing it isn't the best way. So just trying to get people to step outside that comfort zone of everything that they've known for the past 10, 15, 20 years to see if there's a better way of doing it, that's probably been the biggest challenge. Um, sometimes you fail with that. Sometimes you succeed. But just trying to, to get that culture going has probably been the, the only real challenge that I've faced so far. And when, when did you start to implement that mindset or that culture in, in the company, Ben? I, I tried doing it right when I first got out of the Army. but you know, coming into the office, being the, the owner's son and being the super green guy, didn't have a lot of traction. And then picked it up yeah. again last year um, with some technology implementation. And that's where it kind of started to take off. You know, there, uh, what I found in the Army, too, was that even if you're right, doesn't mean you're right. Sometimes you have to plant that seed uh, and, and nurture it and let it grow and some other people who are going to be kind of like the champions for that idea. You know, if you've got a guy that's been around for 15 or 20 years and he's been doing it that same way and it, it's it's gotten him that far, trying to get him to change from that, it's almost got to be his idea. So instead of yeah. me coming in and saying, hey, I got an idea, why don't we do it this way? It's got to kind of be more like, hey, what do you think about this? What what would you do to improve this? Uh, and then they'd say, well, I guess if I had to, I might do this. Well, do you think we could try that? What, what do you think? You know, like try to make it their idea instead of mine. Uh, that's 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 probably the biggest, you know, idea that I have for trying to implement things when people don't want to do them. Yeah. And so getting people to change or getting getting old ideas, uh, uh, you know, or, or, or old processes that you may be using in the company right now, trying to get people to adopt new ways of thinking or new ideas or new thoughts or new patterns uh, in a hundred year old plus company. Uh, you know, I, I can imagine that being a challenge and especially being the young guy coming in, trying to, you know, tell a bunch of seasoned guys, you know, or, or trying to make that shift. Um, that, that must be quite a challenge. And so 
you know, how's that playing out so far? How, how did you overcome that? How is that starting to work in your company? Well, one of the big things is giving people freedom to make mistakes. Uh, we've made some, some pretty costly mistakes ourselves. We tried to implement a, a new software program and we just spent, you know, a week's worth of training on how to do the program. And on Friday we said, okay, shut the old one off on Monday. We're, we're turning the new one on by noon on Monday. We went back to the old one. I mean, it just, it wasn't working. And that was about a $45,000 mistake right there. So, I mean, showing people that it's okay to make mistakes and it's not a huge deal, as long as it's not a huge mistake, I guess, uh, that's, that's been the biggest success so far. You know, we've implemented technology in the shop. We've in- implemented new technology in the office and letting people run with it. Uh, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to screw up. Uh, it's okay to use this piece of software differently than what we envisioned. That's been the, the key to our success right now. We put iPads in the shop to uh, so the guys can see the shop drawings, and we don't print paper anymore. And they figured out about four different ways to use those iPads that I'd never thought of. So it's not always up to me to say, here's how we're going to do it. It's just more up to me to say, here's the strategy we want to go with. Let's try to get everybody on board to leverage it to the best of their abilities for the betterment of the company. And what's that done to the attitude or for the attitude of the people that are working in the shop, allowing them to make those those mistakes? Uh, what what have you seen so far uh, out of your out of your people? You know, they they do a pretty good job of trying not to make mistakes. I think that they realize that everything has an impact to the company, um, but it's just giving them the freedom to try new things. So. Uh, we haven't gone down the road of two-second lean yet, but I've I've started to plant that idea into people's minds, and some guys are really taken to it. They're saying, you know, well, we've got this iPad for viewing drawings over here. Well, can we use it for inventory? Can we use it for communication? Can we use it for whatever? It's like, hey, let's try it. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but we've got it. Let's try to use it. And so guys are taking that and trying to do it in other places. Well, hey, if I've got this thing here, can I use this to make a template or to communicate a drawing to this guy so he can make me a part? Yeah, sure. I don't care. Let's figure it out. You know, we're not going to know if it's going to work until we figure or we, we give it a trial run. So, I mean, some guys are starting to run with it. Other guys, you know, couldn't care less. But I think that's pretty typical. Well, so now at least you've you've started the flywheel spinning. Uh, people, uh, it sounds like that are, you know, trying to come up with some new ideas. Whereas in the past, again, you know, maybe they were thinking that, you know, this is just the way we do it. This is the way we've always done it. Now it sounds like at least they're coming to you with some thoughts and ideas, it sounds like. Yeah, and, you know, the handful of people that are really embracing it, uh, you can pretty much already identify them as the people that are going to be around and probably be the future leaders. So what have you learned from this? Then, uh, by taking this approach, what what kind of learnings have come out of this so far? You know, not everybody thinks the way you think. Uh, even if you sit down and and you have a big conference and everybody explains it and everything, it's just not everybody processes it the same way. And things that you think people should know and they don't know, it frustrates you in the beginning. But if you learn to just communicate everything effectively in the first place. And you don't get frustrated when people kind of don't know the things that you think they should know. Um, yeah, that was kind of a big eye opener. It's like, why don't you know this? I can't believe you don't know this. I'm like, well, you didn't tell me either. I'm like, okay, that's fair. I guess I didn't tell you. So, you know, effective communication up front, even if you think it's too much communication, 
usually doesn't come back to bite you and also managing your expectations to what other people know that that has gone a long way probably in the last 12 to 18 months with everything we've been trying to do uh, the other big thing is just because it's the best thing doesn't mean it's the best thing for our company you know we when we try to do that new software i was talking to you about it, it was the best it's everyone says it's the best you know the the research we did said this was going to be great and when we implemented it it was not even an okay solution for our company and we've done that with a couple other things too um, you know, just because it's the best on the market doesn't mean that it's right for us. But it sounds like you guys have grown from the experience of reaching out, trying some new things, uh, allowing people to make some mistakes and, and to, and to grow from that, uh, experience, uh, Ben. So congratulations on, you know, trying to pivot your company towards that kind of a cultural, uh, solution. I mean, it's, it's not easy changing the culture of a company, as you probably have seen and, and, and are aware, can be quite daunting and quite challenging uh, at times, I'm sure. Uh, so let's just let's just take another approach here and talk about what's been your biggest success so far. Uh, our biggest success right now has just been some steady growth. It's not been one big thing. It's just been a bunch of little things that add up into a steady trend upwards. And it's been nice. Uh, my dad keeps giving me grief. He's like, you don't know what a bad year is. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to prevent a bad year from happening. Um, so it, it's nice that we've been able to, to steadily trend upwards. And it's weird, too, because the metrics aren't always the, the storyteller. Uh, last year was a great year, and we shipped about half as much steel as we normally do. Uh, this year is probably going to be a record-breaking year, and we might not ship as much steel as our, our biggest year in the past. So it's just interesting to see how everything plays out. Um, and then we've got more people right now than we've ever had in the past. We're trying to make sure that we can keep everybody uh, just planning for steady growth in the future. That's been the biggest success so far is uh, probably due to having the right people in the right seats and everybody working together. Uh, when I came out of the Army, we would have a meeting to have a meeting to have a meeting. And I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. I get here. We don't have any meetings. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And then I realized we need to have some meetings. And that is how we got everybody rowing the same direction and pulling on the oars at the same time. And that has been our biggest success. So help me to understand. Tell me more about how it is that you can have the best year possibly that, that you've ever had, but ship less steel. How, how does that work? Well, it's uh, we're we've expanded our territory, so to speak. So, in the history of the company, we only have steel in about eight states, and one of those is Florida. And only technically because my grandfather had a place down there, and we had to ship him some galvanized beams. So we don't we don't really leave Central Ohio, and we rarely leave Ohio. And this year, we're doing projects in North Carolina, Florida, Texas, uh, Illinois. I think we're going to go to California next year, um, or maybe at the end of this year. It's just we've happened to, with the world getting smaller, we've made some relationships that are taking the company a little bit further outside than just Ohio. Uh, and then, you know, as things happen, you do as much work as you can, and you have to start leveraging some some friends to help do some work for you also. So we'll do more jobs this year, but the jobs just happen to weigh less, which is how we're going to end up having a really good year still. 
does that translate into more more revenue or more profit for the company or how do you measure that uh so when i say a record year yeah it would be um sales and then you know hopefully profit this year is looking like it'll be profit as well but usually the just the sales number um is what we look at first to see where we're at compared to other years now the sales numbers doesn't always tell even half the story uh but you know for the, i think this year we'll break 20 million for the first time ever and hopefully we we crush that that line in the sand too uh next year still not sure there's a lot of work out there in first quarter and then it doesn't look like anybody else is slowing down at all we had some jobs pushed from this year to next year also but everything for this year was pretty much already approved by the banks it was just getting pushed to next year just due to resource concerns and people and you know probably a little bit of overblown safety but i don't think we're going to get into that part um next year looks good too it's just it's a good couple of years for construction here in ohio so ben you, you you've mentioned that you guys have seen steady growth and this is possibly going to be your best year so far. Um, but you're shipping possibly less steel. Uh, what would you say has contributed to that success of, of where you are today? Mindset. So this is, and this is what I think separates a lot of people um, that are successful from those that are not successful. If everything else is equal. Right. So if you take two people that come from the same place with the same advantages, same disadvantages, same resources, whatever, the guy with the right mindset is always going to come out ahead. You know, you got to be able to look at a setback and see how can we make how can we get better here? Um, one of the things that I've always thought about, but I never really put my finger on that I never understood was failure is good. So whenever you fail at something, then for me personally, anyhow, I learn way more from that failure than I do from a success. If I succeed at something the first time, it's like, oh, sweet, I'm so glad that that worked out for me. But I don't ever sit back and really think like, okay, what did I do to make that work? It's just I'm, a, I'm celebrating the victory. I'm celebrating the success. Okay, let's do the next thing. But when you fail at something, when you get to step back, you sit there and you analyze the crap out of it. How did we go wrong? What did I do wrong here? Let's not make the same mistake again. So I think you learn more from the failure. So any setback you have, even if it's not a huge failure, if it's just something that didn't go the way you want it to, when you learn from it, I think that that helps you be stronger. It helps you make better decisions. And, you know, I think coming out of the, let's see, 08 to 2012 were some pretty bad years. Luckily for me, I was in the military during those years. So when I came out of the Army, back to the company at the end of 13, we were just starting to go on the upswing again. And just the mindset of leveraging every little setback into some sort of new lesson learned that we can turn into a success, that's helped get us where we are here today. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of people that thought that way. We just couldn't put our finger on it. Uh, and then just discussing it out loud, that's, that's where we ended up. Every little setback now is how do we learn from this? How do we get better? Hey, Ben, that's a great story. And so have you ever had anybody come to you and say, uh, oh my gosh, uh, I've made just a, a horrible uh, mistake or uh, or you've discovered that somebody has made a, a mistake and they're sitting there thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. Has, has anybody uh, has anybody ever said that to you or have you ever encountered that? Yeah, we had that happen twice this year, actually. It was pretty funny because in my mind, it was funny because I, I would have never fired this guy for, for doing this, but he thought that his job was in question. 
Um, yeah. We had a guy, a material handler, run a forklift into something, and it actually wasn't his fault. There was a uh, an obstruction that prevented him from seeing what he ran into, like a, a visual obstruction. And so we learned from that that, hey, we need to make sure that where we're driving forklifts around, we don't have visual obstructions like this. Uh, it, it, that guy was freaking out. It's like, no, nah, man, like, how do we learn from this? How do we get better from this? And then that guy actually ended up going on to point out quite a few different areas that we could improve. And that was fantastic. And we had another guy uh, when we got the oh, – go ahead. Uh, no, please. Please continue. Okay. And we had another guy uh, when we first put the iPads in the shop. I was wondering who was going to be the first one to break one once. And it wasn't the guy that I thought was going to break it. So that I come into my office one day and there's a broken iPad on the desk. I'm like, oh, man, who did it? I was excited because I was just waiting for it. I wasn't even mad. So I go out there and I find the guy that broke it. And I, I, I just mess with him. I walk over very sternly. I said, why'd you break my iPad? And he, he looked, he turned like super ashy. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, tells me the story and how he did it. I'm like, dude, I don't care. Are you going to break an iPad like that again? He's like, no. I was like, tell your friends. And we, you know, we, we, we had a insurance for the iPads anyhow. So we got a new one in and like 24 hours and it was fine. But that guy has not broken anything, not even another tool since he broke that iPad. You know, that's funny, uh, Ben. Um, when you have people think that that their job is on the line because they, they've broken something like that. Let me just ask you a quick question. So um, the the guy that ran the forklift into uh, something in, in the shop there, what, just out of curiosity, rough ballpark. What what do you think that ended up costing your company? Probably less than five hundred dollars. Probably less than five hundred. But what he saved by identifying other places probably saved five thousand dollars. Yeah. And the iPad. How much was the iPad? You think? So I mean, when we bought the iPad, you know, a new one cost a thousand dollars, but the insurance cost one hundred and sixteen. So yeah. let's just say we lost 116. Oh, no, actually, that's not true. You have to pay $50 to get a new one. So we lost $50 on that one, and yeah. he saved us $500 and not breaking other things so far. Yeah, but all right. So roughly $1,500, well, $1,000 was the cost of the, of the iPad. But, you know, the, the lesson there possibly being that, hey, you just got a $1,000 education. Why, right. why would I fire you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, just, I love that story. There's a story, and I don't remember if you told me this or somebody else told me this. I think it's your story actually about how you screwed up and it was it was it had a lot of zeros behind it, and you thought you were going to lose your job, and the boss said, "I just I just paid that much money for you to go to school. <laughs> why would I fire I you? Did. You're, that's how much I, more valuable you are to me." I did. I actually had an employee that lost several million dollars uh, <laughs> in one fell swoop. Uh, on a on a contract, and uh, you know he came to me thinking that he was going to lose his job. And I said, "Wait a minute, you just you just got a ten million dollar education. Why in the world would I fire <laughs> That's you?" Way better than Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well Ben, um, so what is it that you believe that makes you know some people successful uh, or some companies successful while other companies are, are struggling? It, it's all about that mindset. So it's going to be mindset of your your key leaders, and it's going to be um, you know everybody everybody pulling in the same direction, everybody rowing in the same direction, whatever, however you want to look at that. But you know when we when I came out of the army and we weren't having meetings, 
the, the left hand didn't always know what the right hand was doing. And there was some disconnect between, you know, project management and the shop and estimating and, and a couple other places. And it wasn't bad. It just wasn't as good as it could have been. And uh, just, just simple, small, short meetings to keep everybody on the same page and let the other side or let the left hand hear what the right hand has to say. Uh, that, that goes a long way. I can see how you can very easily get off course with that. Um, you know, and then just being able to let your people make mistakes without going off on them and just, just having that leveraging mindset is how can we get better and turn every little setback into some sort of success. So Ben, uh, your company has been around for over a hundred years now, which is just a fantastic feat, uh, in itself. And so what makes you optimistic about the future of, of Terrier Steel? What makes you think that you guys uh, can be around for another 100 years? Well, the coolest part about our situation right now is I mentioned that we've got some some veteran people here in the key leadership positions. Now, some of them talk about trying to retire right at 65 or maybe a little early, but you know the conversations I've had with them, I just don't see that happening. And so the young blood being me and my brother in here, uh, we got a couple other people that we think will, will come up through the ranks as well. We get to hang out with that old guard for a long time. It won't be a fast transition period, which means we get some time to grow up. We get some time to learn things. We get some time to experience some things uh, before we have to, you know, kind of do it on our own, being the being the veterans ourselves. So that's going to help us out a lot. Um, you know, the other big one is that we've rapidly expanded our reach. You know, I was talking about going to different states and everything this year. Uh, part of that has also been we've aided with the design. So it's more of a design assist kind of uh, template there. So we can leverage a couple of different things that we've experienced in the past year or two to help us kind of grow at least uh, out. I don't, we don't necessarily need to have a bigger facility and more people and stuff, but if we can reach our um, our territory and expand our territory out a little bit further, it'll give us opportunities that we haven't had before. Well, Ben, uh, it's been a real exciting time talking with you here about what you're doing at Terrier Steel, and uh, congratulations once again on uh, surpassing 100 years at, uh, at, at Terrier. Uh, sounds like you just got a, a, a great developing culture there in, in the company. Uh, I'm excited for you and your brother and the family to continue to uh, carry on with the, with the family name and with, uh, with, with the great work that your company is doing and, and providing steel uh, throughout, the, throughout the country and just wish you a lot of success. We're, um, we're about out of time and I want to wrap this up. And so I just want to ask you, where's the best place for our listeners to go to connect with you or to learn more about Terrier Steel? Yeah, that would be our website and social media. So our website is www.terrier.com, and that's T-A-R-R-I-E-R. -R -R -E when I'm ordering a pizza, I don't care how they spell my name, but it might uh, might help to type in the right the right spelling when you go to the website. And then the website will take you to you know our Instagram account. Uh, some email addresses are in there as well. And then, I mean, that's email is probably the best way to reach me. Um, it's hard sometimes to with the current schedules of people to, to line up a phone call, but email's always good. Okay. Well, Ben, uh, I want to thank you for taking time to join us today. My guest has been Ben Terrier uh, with Terrier Steel again in Columbus, Ohio. 
And thank you very much, Ben, for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, my friend, and I look forward to reconnecting with you again soon. Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one, get a copy of Kevin's book, In Search of Balance, The Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life at chiefexecutiveboards.com slash book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com slash events or call 864-527-5917.